Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Uh, happy free agency opening, by the way. Uh, Eric Damchak is always with you alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Uh, Stephen, it was pretty funny. Just not even a week ago, we were talking about what we were, what we were going to be doing this week. And we were both like, oh, I don't know if we're going to have enough content. And then uh, like 4,000 things happened. Yeah, we were preparing to be light on content, and that definitely isn't the case. So I'm going to have to break it into a, a two-parter as we planned here, but uh, I'm pretty pumped. Yeah, very very excited to talk about some of this stuff, and I'm sure uh, as a Sky fan, as we'll get to, <laughs> you, you must be excited as well. Just a bit, just a bit, yeah. Um, and just to preface, none of the moves that we're going to be talking about have actually been like confirmed by the teams or the players yet, or I mean some of the players, but... Um, Free agency does not start in earnest. Like players can't actually sign contracts until February 1st, I believe. So like I said, or like Steven said, rather, we're going to be breaking this up into two parts, talking about a few moves today, talking about a few moves tomorrow. And again, we'd love to hear your thoughts as always. But uh, Steven, would you like to start with, uh, I don't know, where you want to start? Well, I guess my, my question to you, what was your immediate reaction? We're recording this a few days later, but when you first kind of saw the the reporting that Candace Parker had made her decision and was going to go to Chicago. Like, how, how were you feeling? Um, <laughs> so first, first thought was, wow, that's, this is a huge L for me personally, because I publicly said I have a, I've got like my own little blog, um, Eric blogs, WBB.substack.com subtle plug there. Uh, I said not even 24 hours before, like, yeah, I think the issues with Candace Parker and Derek Fisher are overblown. Uh, I think people are making a mountain out of a molehill. You know, it'd be really cool to get her in Chicago, but I don't think it's going to happen. And then Ramona Shelburne from ESPN is like, yeah, Candace Parker's going to the sky. And I'm like, what? We got Candace Parker? Like, huh? <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny because, like, I'm not, as a Sky fan, I'm not used to getting big free agents like this. It's not, it hasn't been a thing, like, ever. So, um... My reaction was a bit of disbelief at first. There is a uh, a corresponding transaction, or that will happen eventually, uh, sooner sooner rather than later, with Cheyenne Parker that we that we'll talk about later. But yeah, um, it's shocking, but in a good way. Yeah, I mean, from a, a Sky perspective, like the franchise has had some amazing players over the course of their history, but obviously a lot of them have been uh, yeah. you know, homegrown talent, drafted talent. I'm not even sure maybe who the the best, I guess, straight like unrestricted free agent signing would be outside of Parker, you know, uh, maybe you could say quickly, I guess, like as a, but she was not the player that she turned into in Chicago. You know what I right. mean? Um, so I, I'm not even sure where to start there, but see the thing, Stephen, the thing about this guy is um, they are better known for losing players than getting players. So yeah, this is, this is a big, I'll just say this now, like sky culture over the years, like I said, they've been known for, for losing players under weird and or shady circumstances. And this is, this is something I wrote about extensively on my blog as well. So if, if you'd like to, to hear, my, hear more of my thoughts about it, you can check that out. But um, like I said, this guy have been known as the place that, or one of the places that nobody wants to play over the years. And that's, it's, it really sucks to have a label like that. So this, this move in itself, like maybe, you know, Candace Parker just wanted to, be on a contending team, you know, to end to finish her career. And she wanted to be, you know, closer to home. That's, that might be it. But to me, this signals a shift in, you know, a shift in, in, in sky culture and how the team is viewed around the league. And it's, it's very empowering to view it that way because just a few years prior, it was like, well, you know, we keep losing all these star players, you know, how, how is this team ever going to reach contending status? Well, I think that question has been answered now. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, just from a basketball standpoint, we can kind of get into it here. Like defensively, this is, I think, exactly what Chicago needed to be vaulted into championship contention. Um, oh, yeah. That's obviously where they've struggled uh, the past couple of seasons. And, and Parker is a tremendous player on both ends, obviously, but the reigning defensive player of the year, of course, um, just to provide some, some contextual numbers, like um, last year, 32% of opponent's shots came within five feet. So right around that restricted area for Chicago last season, yeah, second highest in the, yeah, second highest in the WNBA, the, year before that they allowed the highest proportion in the entire league so i think having that presence down low and, and parker who someone is just you know as a defender an all-around defender really you know mm -hmm. defending the pick and roll two on two like defending in the post um just challenging with verticality i think she might be one of the best in the league even if her her block numbers aren't like extraordinary as much as we both like cheyenne parker as a player like you're you're just getting a, a different presence down there defensively uh, and the Sparks, obviously, this isn't all on, on Parker, but they have been much better, you know, defending within the kind of uh, in that paint area, you know, right in the restricted area. They were tied for the second fewest shots within five feet in, you know, Chicago Bigs, Dolson uh, in particular, who who we both are fans of, I think, but Cheyenne Parker and, and even Stevens to an extent when she's been out there, yeah, they also have a hard time like not getting into fall trouble. And that's never really been an issue for Parker. So uh, you know, I think she's going to help them a ton on the defensive glass as well. Yeah. And, and you know, they'll, I think they lose a little bit on the offensive glass, losing Cheyenne Parker, uh, who is very good in that, that area, but not, you know, an amazing defensive rebounder. And, and I think the same could be said for, for Dolson and uh, Stevens. So, you know, Parker, <laughs> Parker, uh, Candace Parker coming off just a monster year on the defensive glass. Uh, hopefully she can keep that up, but such an upgrade defensively, obviously. And I think, all the offensive stuff aside, like I think she's going to be a great fit offensively, but this is where like it, it really makes a difference for me in terms of them being like a really good team and like a true championship contender. Well, the uh, you know, the point about Parker never following or Candace Parker never following, we're going to have to keep doing that. <laughs> Candace Parker never following. Uh, she doesn't follow because, I mean, you just ask her like every, every follow they call on her and it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> but no, that, that's, that's a good point. And also, and the thing that you, you hit on that I really wanted to um, emphasize as well was the defensive rebounding. Um, it's really hard to be a good defensive team if you're not also a good defensive rebounding team. That is one area in which this guy have never really been good at since the Sylvia Fowles era ended. Um, and then as far as, you know, the, the proportion of shots allowed in the paint, that, that's, that's huge as well. If you're, if you're constantly giving up so many high efficiency shots to the other team, I mean, that's, it, it's really hard to, um, to play luck over an extended period of time. You know, how we, how we think about like, uh, we, we talk about, oh, t the teams are, are allowing so many uncontested threes, like that'll, that will uh, come back to get them eventually. The same thing for proportion of shots in the paint and at the rim. I do think that this guy, this isn't a, an, a, a whole, like a, an all-in fix for their defensive problems because I think you still need to, when you're talking about shots allowed in the paint or at the rim, you still need to do a better job of, you know, the perimeter people need to do a better job of keeping their man in front, um, sharper help defense and everything like that. But for everything else, I mean, I totally agree. You said it, it, it really is everything that this guy needed defensively. And part of the reason why I, I didn't really see this as a, or why I've been not so high on, on Chicago's potential this offseason was because I didn't consider this to be, a plausible move but now that we know that Candace Parker is going to be in Chicago I mean she doesn't really do anything for the depth because you're basically swapping a Parker for a Parker but everything else I mean she, she really is everything that this guy needed defensively so um and you mentioned the offense too there's well, going to be a lot of interesting passing going on in Chicago 
Yeah, well, one more point about the defense, just that kind of relates to the offense. You know, Parker plays so much of her game at the top of the key. Um, just naturally, she, I think, is is more suited as a transition defender than Cheyenne Parker, who is mm-hmm. a little bit more of a diver in the pick and roll. You know, she's going to be attacking the basket. She, she plays a lot in the post. And, you know, I mentioned before that I don't think Cheyenne Parker is a particularly active transition defender. And I think Candace Parker is, you know, not amazing there like you know she's going to have some some plays where she thinks she got fouled and and isn't going to be sprinting back and stuff like that but I I definitely think that's an upgrade as well and that's obviously a a huge area of concern for Chicago's defense like you know prior to so yeah what what do you think about how she's going to fit offensively well uh, her former coach Brian Agler tweeted that uh, Chicago now has two of the top three playmakers or distributors I forget the term I think he I think he said distributors in the WNBA, he did not answer a, a tweet. I, have, I, I said to him, I was like, well, who's the third? But um, I mean, that, that really says it all. It's the ability to have a, or the, the luxury rather, to have a, an elite guard playmaker in Courtney Vandersloot, along with an elite front court playmaker in Candace Parker. Just that alone opens up so many possibilities for this guy offensively. I mean, you don't even need to consider that Candace Parker can still, I mean, she can still get a bucket on her own. You know, I mean, she's still a pretty good post-up player and a pretty good spot-up player as well. But, you know, when she's making plays for others off the dribble, or not even off the dribble, from the top of the key, as you said, the Sky have a lot of really athletic wing players, as it currently stands. Uh, Gabby Williams, Diamond Shields, Kalia Copper. Um, there's going to be, I mean, hey, now it's like you cut, you're going to get, you're going to be found by somebody out there. And that's... Um, that's huge. It opens, it opens up so much. And then, like you said, in transition, uh, you know, Candace Parker is so good with the, with the lead passes in transition, defensive rebound, easy outlet pass or outlet pass directly to a bucket. That's something that this guy, I think, I feel like they kind of, they didn't get as much of last season compared to 2019. Now it's going to be a huge advantage for them. Yeah. Just from like a passing standpoint to always have one of Parker or Dolson on the floor, like having, that type of passing for 40 minutes from your center position, I think is just, it's huge. You know what I mean? Lightens the burden for some of those uh, secondary, I guess, wing creators, you know, obviously Vandersloot is um, a good passer. I'll say, I'll go out on a limb and say that, but She's decent, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the other uh, wing players for, for the sky are not necessarily known for their great passing. So having, having great passing from, you know, your center pretty much at all times uh, is going to be awesome. And then you mentioned the transition, like I think we'll see a lot more of Diamond to Shields leaking out and Parker being able to find her in the open court. And uh, it's going to be really exciting. I, I imagine that will be a very dynamic part of this guy's offense. You know, I think a lot has, maybe not a lot, but but some talk has been uh, going around just about, you know, how Parker is going to fit as a a pick and roll player, uh, you know, obviously Courtney Vandersloot is a very dynamic pick and roll point guard. And I think Candace Parker might actually be, you know, just as a straight pick and roll partner for Vandersloot, maybe a, a little bit of a downgrade from Cheyenne Parker, just because, you know, Parker, Cheyenne Parker was phenomenal at that last year in particular, you know, she was in the 81st percentile or, or something along those lines. And just as a pick and roll player, like, that's not really something that we've seen a lot from Candace Parker in the last, you know, five or so years. It's just not really a huge part of her game. You know, she is just more either going down to the post or, or just playing from the top of the key. So I hope we do see some more high pick and rolls from, you know, the, the Vandersloot Candace Parker combination. And obviously Parker is like a great passer and, and should be a great playmaker from the pick and roll. But again, it's not really something we've seen. And, 
when she has done it these past few years, about like 75% of her pick and roll possessions over the past five seasons have been pops and, and not rolls. So it's, it's just not something where she's, you know, she's diving to the basket a ton and, you know, making herself a presence attacking the rim in that way. So, and even as a passer, you know, I think she had three assists maybe making a play as a roller in, in 2020. So we'll, we'll see if she just kind of uh, is willing to, to adapt uh, and take on that role, but being a, a constant roller in the pick and roll is a very physically demanding aspect of, of or, or challenge in terms of, you know, what it kind of means for you in terms of like meeting the defense and, and taking on that physicality and can certainly understand if Parker just kind of um, continues to revert to habits of, of mostly popping out in those. So, so we'll see what it looks like. Yeah. And you know, over the years, the three point shot is not something I've loved from Candace Parker's game. Cause I think that like, she's so deadly everywhere else. I, I think it's, it's settling for her, but she has been an adequate three point shooter, you know, in, in recent years, I believe. So, uh, and then when you think about it, like, I don't see any reason why Candace Parker can't adapt her game. I mean, she's so skilled and she's going to a roster that's a lot different than what she was working with in LA. And James Wade is a pretty good coach. So I trust that a player of like Parker, who I assume she wants to like, one of the main reasons why she went to this guy is because she wants to win, you know, at the end of her career, she wants to win another championship. Um, I'm guessing that, or I'm, I'm hoping that a creative coach like Wade plus a, a Candace Parker who is willing to, you know, modify her game if necessary in order to win, will take those necessary steps to, you know, completely optimize the offense. But when you talk about the pick and roll, I mean, what do you think about Candace Parker as a playmaker in the pick and roll? I mean, I would love to see that. I mean, something like how about we some five, about, four pick and rolls? Yeah, or something we talked about before uh, or a couple of weeks ago, you know, before we knew Parker was going to be leaving like maybe an inverted pick and roll with Allie Quigley where she's flaring out as as the popper I think that would be awesome to see and I mean just as in terms of Parker as the roller in the pick and roll I'm not saying that I I don't think it will happen or or anything like that or that she wouldn't be able to do it because if she decided that she wanted to do it I'm sure she would be awesome at it but it's just one of those things where like I, I think players tend to just do things that they're comfortable with and this is a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison, but we heard how much like Candace Dupree was going to start shooting threes. And then she uh-huh. took like four of them and started <laughs> taking long twos again. You know what I mean? It's just one of the, when you've been doing something for so long, you might make an effort to do it for, for a short time. And then you might start reverting back to kind of the things that you're a little bit more comfortable with. But sure. uh, with that being said, you know, she, she's, we can all assume that she's coming here bought into to what Chicago wants to do. You know what I mean? So, so there's definitely uh, a chance that we just kind of see her locked in that way. But I mean, with that being said, like, I think she definitely elevates something that's already a strength of, of one of uh, Chicago's post players in Seth Dolson and not as much for Cheyenne Parker. And that's just like the handoff game, getting a spot up shooter, a great look off handoffs. Like I think her and Quigley and maybe her and Copper even are going to have some like generate some really nice looks off that, you know, I don't think she's quite like uh, the off ball screener that Steph Dolson is, but you know, just her, her understanding of kind of angles and, and how to get a shooter into the right spot. It's going to open up so many things that, you know, with a, a player who that's not really what they're known for, you know, Cheyenne Parker was not someone who was going to do a ton of kind of handoffs and, and off ball stuff like that. So I think that's going to look awesome for them. Yeah, for sure. Candace Parker, she's just got a, such a great feel for the game. And I think uh, her basketball IQ is, is not, is not something she's given enough credit for, but you had a question about Chicago's championship window, however. Well, it wasn't so much a question in just in terms of like, this kind of solidifies it, right? Like oh, yeah. Candace Parker is going to be 35 when, when the season begins. 
pretty much the entirety of this roster is going to be a free agent after this season. So I think whether or not Candace Parker came to the, the team, like this was going to be a very important year for the sky, but you know, now you, you kind of know what you're looking at. You know, Allie Quigley's up there in age. Uh, Vandersloot's in her 30s. So, I mean, obviously they have some younger pieces in, in Copper and Stevens and DeShields, but the, the time is pretty much now. Absolutely. And uh, what was it you told me? Um, Cheyenne Parker isn't making Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley any younger. That's, I thought that was a good way of putting it. Um, if you are presented with the opportunity to sign Candace Parker, you sign Candace Parker. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. And then one more thing, you know, just about Parker, like how about finally playing on a team where everyone has to be guarded? You know, for the yeah. longest time, it was either one of uh, Elena Beard or Tara Ruffin-Pratt or even Taya Cooper, Sykes to some degree. You know, there was always kind of somewhere that the, the defense could shade a little bit away from. And I think things are going to be a lot more open now uh, for Parker to operate it, as crazy as that may sound on, you know, how good LA has been over the past few years. But I mean, flat out, like, do you think this team can win the title next year? With, with Knowing that there are still some pieces to be, you know, moved around for them in, in some other spots, you know, obviously backup point guard has to be a concern for you right now yeah. uh, as, as a Sky fan. But, like, do you think they have enough as is? Uh, I would like to see them add one more piece. And what that piece is, I, I don't know. Um, backup point guard, I mean, it's – it's the most obvious concern right now. I mean, Courtney Vanders was, I can't play 40 minutes a game. And that's, as we've seen over the years, it's a huge problem whenever she's not on the court. I would like to see another shooter on the perimeter though. Cause other than Allie Quigley, they don't really have many good shooters. Courtney Vanders is, is serviceable from back there as well. But I think to completely optimize Candace Parker's game and this pass heavy offense that is unselfish offense that we are hoping to see, I think you need one more good shooter on the wing. Maybe Kalia Copper can become that. I mean, she made good strides with her, her three-point shot last year. As of right now, I think Seattle is still better. I think Las Vegas has, if Liz Kimbe shows up, which is a huge if, I think Vegas has an incredibly talented starting lineup that on paper is better than this guy. And we still need to see what Washington does as well. But uh, let me put it this way. Before this signing, Chicago did not have a championship window. Now they at least have something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's just, you know, a pretty small sample size, but Copper was, you know, a 40% three-point shooter before the oh, last yeah. handful of games of last season. Uh, again, they all count, and, and she ended up significantly lower than that due to a, a little bit of a cold streak. But you're right in terms of just having that second, I guess, elite shooter, and and Stevens has made some, and DeShields has made some, you know what I mean? And Parker, like you said, it's it's not either of our favorite part of her game, but she can she can certainly do it. I mean, having Candace Parker, you know, Obviously, she's she's a great playmaker for, for any position, but does having that kind of secondary playmaking presence, does that make you feel, I guess, any better about maybe bringing back like a Sydney Colson where that really isn't her game, or, or you still want a, something different from that spot? No, I still want something different. Um, I think, but 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 what, who is still out there who can provide that? That's the other thing. Like, backup point guard is such an interesting position for me because on this team, she's not going to be playing many minutes whoever it is, but she needs to be able to at least keep it going. You know, I mean, it, backup point guard was such a black hole last season. Uh, it was, you know, where, where minutes just went to die, if, if, that's, if that's fair. But uh, I, I think, I think the, the three-point shot should be emphasized from that, from that spot. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the obvious one that uh, folks have been mentioning is uh, Renee Montgomery. I mean, yeah. I think that, that's the dream. I, I don't know 
if it's going to work financially or anything like that, or if uh, I, I know there is was some, play? if she even, is she even going to come that, back. That's true. Yeah, uh, I think there were some comments a couple of weeks ago uh, where she she had mentioned that she does want to continue her career and she doesn't really see Atlanta as the place to do that. But you know, she is uh, a suspended, expired player, and, and Atlanta has exclusive negotiating rights for her. So you know, maybe they just decide that that they'll do her a solid and, and let her move on somewhere else. But um, well, one more thing, Stephen, that now that I'm looking at, at these depth charts here, uh, with all the activity going on in free agency or all the activity we presume to see happen in free agency, I mean, look at the waiver wire too. Just because people aren't out there right now doesn't mean there won't be any options in the future. Like pick, pickups from some other team, like, like Minnesota as it's looking is going to need to cut a player or two. We have no clue what Indiana is doing, <laughs> uh, but you know, maybe, maybe Dallas lets one of their point cards, but anything could happen. So I don't want to rule it out just yet. Of course, Candace Parker was not the only great player that the Sparks lost this offseason. Chelsea Gray, it's reported she's heading to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was, uh, I know they had courted her last offseason as well, but this was one that I did find a, a little bit surprising, but obviously it makes them better. You know, Chelsea Gray is a great player. Any immediate thoughts on this one? Well, I, I guess they answered their point guard question, right? Is, is that safe to say? I mean, I... I didn't really think they had a point guard. I guess, you know, oh, no? when, anytime a player comes off an Achilles injury, you know, it's, it's pretty serious, but I guess I'm a little bit higher on Kelsey Plum. Okay. Than, okay. Than uh, see, I, I saw Plum as more of like a secondary playmaker who's, who's, who plays, you know, a bit, a bit of a combo guard position, but I think the fit between the two of those players is actually really interesting because they're both kind of combo guardy. They can both make plays for others. You can, you know, you, you can kind of share the point guard duties. It's, it's, it's not so, it's not so black and white, if you will. Yeah, sure. And, you know, just from a talent standpoint, anytime you, you can get a Chelsea Gray, like no, oh, yeah. regardless of fit, I think you do it. But I, I think there might, I'm a little bit more worried maybe about diminishing returns just in terms of like this particular situation than, than some other folks are. Like Vegas was already number one in frequency in shots between six and 10 feet and 11 and 15 feet last year. They were number two in shots, uh, 16 to 21 feet. So that kind of longest mid-range area uh, before the three-point line in 2019 they were way up there in all of those categories as well and Chelsea Gray at this point of her career is kind of living off mid-rangers you know at least within her own offense you know obviously she's a, a great passer and brings uh, a lot more than just kind of where her own shots take place but 60 percent of her shots last year came outside of five feet and inside the three-point line like 60 percent that's we like, talked about this a lot over the yeah, season too it's a huge proportion of, of what she's doing and she's not really getting to the line anymore obviously you know vegas if they have everyone uh, available between uh McCautry and asia wilson and liz cambage free throws are not going to be a concern but just like the doubling down of getting rid of your one three-point shooter from 2020 to add another player who heavily relies on on mid-range efficiency is extremely Bill Lambeer. But um, with that being said, like, you know, obviously there should be considered a, a title favorite. Chelsea Gray can shoot threes, but will she shoot enough threes? And playing under Bill Lambeer, I mean, uh... <laughs> but that being said, I mean, make no mistake about it. Chelsea Gray is a tremendous player. This is going to be really fun to watch her with Vegas's transition game. Like Gray to hand in transition. That's going to be fun. Yeah. And, the other thing about it, uh, you know, assuming that they are able to bring back D-Rob, you know, she's never really going to be in a position where she has to guard opposing point guards, which I, I think is a plus. And she was kind of rarely doing that anyway these days. But, um, you know, I, I'm just – I'm pretty interested to see how Bill is going to use Gray on, on both sides of the ball, like how much she'll be running things, like what type of actions they're running for her. 
they were not a team that really ran a ton of pick and rolls. Right. Uh, I, I don't think that's really ever been a, a Bill Lambeer staple for um, for a few years now, at least. And if she will be kind of more aggressive getting to the line or getting to the rim, and they have not like obviously emphasized off ball shooting. Like I think, like as you were saying, Gray is. Uh, I think she's a, a capable three-point shooter. You know, I, I like her more as like a spot-up than kind of an, an off-the-dribble three-point shooter. And, right. you know, being able to kind of have Kelsey Plum plus their their great post options. Um, but but defensively as well, like she's been a player that guards a ton of threes and and doesn't really do a ton of defending the point of attack. And they kind of already have that in, in Angel McCautry, who had a wonderful defensive season, like as a help defender. But I, and I think Chelsea Gray, her best defense is as a help defender as well but they kind of do it in different ways where like Angel is, you know, she was number four in the league in steer rate last year and she goes out there to make plays on defense. You know what I mean? Like that's what she's trying to do. And Gray, I think defensively is more of like a smart and not, not to say Angel's not smart, but Gray, you know, what she's doing is more just kind of like being in the right spot and making sure she's helping from the right angle and stuff like that. She just well, it fits of, her player archetype too. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sure. Angel's super explosive athlete, whereas Chelsea Gray more, yeah. Right, but if you know if both of those players are kind of wanting to guard your third best perimeter option, one of them is going to be in a position that, that they haven't necessarily been in at least last season. You know what I mean? And and Gray oh. in particular, I think, is more suited to guard like an Alicia Clark than a Kayla McBride, who's just going to be super active oh, yeah. off the ball. You know, coming off a ton of screens and pin downs and stuff like that. Like I don't think Gray really, or or Angel for that matter, like that's not really their strength defensively is fighting through that stuff. That's a good point, especially at Angel's, you know, advanced age and how she was used last year regarding minutes. Um, and I think teams are really going to go at Kelsey Plum, whoever she's guarding this season. They're going to really test that Achilles. Uh, a couple questions, though, I, I had about this Vegas team now. One, who's like, who are they going to late in the games? Because like we said, you, you said it, like Bill Ambeer, you know, they didn't run a lot of pick and roll last year. Now they kind of have to, you know, even though the floor is not going to be spaced that well. I mean, you don't want Chelsea Gray just out there. You want her making plays. That's what you got her for. So all these straight post-ups, I mean, I don't know. And do you go to Gray? Do you go to Angel? Like, like what do you do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting collection of players. I think, you know, Asia is still going to be the focal point of, of the offense, even if I maybe would run some more stuff through Liz late in games. But I, that's kind of how I see things going. You know, Gray starts, starts the action and, and it ends up in Asia's hands. Just, you know, she's the reigning MVP. She did – she – pretty much carried them to a, a finals appearance last year. So even if Cambage, in my opinion, is a slightly better player and a, a better offensive player, I imagine just like the stature that Wilson has in the franchise, you know, things will run through her late in games. Okay, fair enough. And that's that's something to keep an eye on for sure. If, once again, if Cambage plays uh, this season. And the other thing I'm wondering is like, what happens to Jackie Young now? Because what, like, okay, so that's not, that's not huge in, in, in the grand scheme of things, but does Vegas try to move her? Like, I don't really see what her role on this team is now. Well, I, I'm not sure why it would really be much different. You know what I mean? Like, she's still going to be a player who – she's still going to be a bench player, you know, your first wing off the bench probably. Um, well, I guess my, my question is why, why do you think things have changed? Just because there's somebody else that will have the ball in their hand a lot? Yeah. Someone else is going to have – well, great plus plum coming back. Between the two of those, I don't see really any reason for Jackie Young to, to have the ball in her hands anymore. And then, yeah, like, that, you, you, keep, you keep bringing D-Rob up as well. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't see the fit on this team, but I've been saying that about the Aces for every year since their inception. So, I don't know. We'll see. So, I mean, I, I did use the phrase, like, diminishing returns early 
in in our Chelsea Great discussion. But I still think this team, like if they have everybody, they should, in my opinion, be probably the favorites to to win the title. Uh, we're a long ways from that. Who knows who will will play this season? Who knows like even what you know the the COVID situation looks like a few months from now. But I mean, do you think this team is is better off, you know, with their existing talent with Chelsea Gray than Kayla McBride, who fills a very specific need that they had? Yes, I do, because I'm not really sure how much of an impact McBride actually made last year. I get that you need at least one perimeter shooter, and and I, I, I love perimeter shooting. I, I totally understand the importance of it, but, you know, there were just times last year when McBride, she was just not visible, and teams were still collapsing on Asia Wilson. Like, it's it's not like you know, McBride got so many open looks or, or teams were respecting McBride so much that Asia Wilson was never double teamed. So yeah. And when you only have one of those players that are, yeah, like, it's, it's like, you know, whatever. So I think, I think ultimately Gray's playmaking ability, you know, tips the scale in her favor there. And then you got to look at the other people coming back too. I mean, if both Kelsey Plum and Liz Kimbeige return and healthy uh, specifically, this team is just going to be, there's so much talent there. So should we talk about kind of where LA goes from here or should we talk about Cheyenne Parker? Uh, we can talk about Cheyenne Parker real quick. Um, okay. She signed with the Atlanta dream and, you know, as a personal aside, before we get started on, on, on the basketball stuff, it's really cool seeing a player like I watch develop secure the bag, even if it's with a different team. Like I always say when Cheyenne Parker first got in a league, she could barely shoot a free throw, blah, blah, blah. I've said it a billion times, but it's really cool to watch a player, you know, develop their game year after year after year, add something new year after year after year, and really seize a spot in, in, this, in, in the starting lineup with this guy, and now presumably with the Atlanta Dream. Um, it's really cool to watch them, you know, get rewarded for that. I'm not sure about the fit, though, with this Atlanta team. Do you have similar concerns? I do, and, and a lot of people seem to be pretty high on it, and I think I would, I would really love the fit if I thought, like, Parker's definitely going to play the five full-time but I, I don't really think that's the case unless there's another move coming because they, they have a pretty good five in Elizabeth Williams. And I, I don't really think Cheyenne Parker is a four. I think you can, you can play her at the four. It's not like a disaster, but you're, you're best optimized for both her, her own role and the other players around her if she's playing as a five. Would you agree with that? Yeah, the main concern I have here is that looking at the players who are currently on this team, even with Cheyenne Parker's uh, development of her three-point shot, she's still going to be sharing a lot of the same floor that Monique Billings and Elizabeth Williams and Kalani Brown are. I'm just not sure if you can have four paint-bound post pl- or frontcourt players in today's WNBA. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I that's uh, especially I, when you have, when you don't really have that much three-point shooting either. Like Kennedy Carter can run hot and cold. Courtney Williams. <laughs> We, we know your thoughts on Courtney Williams and the three ball. Tiffany Hayes, you're going to give her that shot. So even if everybody comes back, you have a lot of perimeter players who are looking to get to the rim with a lot of front court players who are already at the rim. It's There has to be another move coming. I agree. Yeah, I think it'll be tough with this roster as is. Like This team right now should be all about developing Kennedy Carter, and I mm-hmm. think Parker could be like a really huge positive in that regard, like as a pick-and-roll partner and um, someone who can – perhaps continue to pop out a little bit and space the floor. I think maybe I would like a team like New York a little bit more for Parker or even like a one-year deal playing the four alongside like a John Quill Jones who can space it out a little bit. Um, 
but I'm, I'm sure you'd like that, wouldn't you? I mean, like just from a <laughs> from a perspective, yeah. The yeah, two teams yeah, yeah. that I'm closest to, I would like Cheyenne Parker to play for. Is that yeah. the hardest? You want to you want to watch good players? Is, yes. is what I um, no, but just you know, from kind of just where she could be maximized on the floor. Like I think it's it's going to be real tough with uh, Elizabeth Williams, who we talked about a, a couple weeks ago. I I you know she hasn't been the most effective offensive player, but she is you know the one thing that she's been pretty good at is like the pick and roll and. So you have two pick and roll bigs, but but neither of them, I think, are Elizabeth Williams is just a straight paint bound player, and Parker maybe can continue to space the floor a little bit more. So, um, you know, Atlanta was a, a pretty poor transition defense last season. Like I think Parker will continue to to add on to that. You know, Atlanta was one of the higher turnover teams offensively. I think Parker is a pretty high turnover player, and you know, if she is playing alongside Elizabeth Williams, like for a lot of minutes that that's only going to make the floor shrink even more. You know what I mean? So maybe if Williams and Parker are both playing about 28 minutes per game, you have one of them on the floor at all times and you can minimize your time spent playing both of them together, you know, maybe four minutes each quarter to start each half and to end each half. And and you're having only one of them on the floor aside from that. And that can really provide one good, pick and roll partner for Kennedy Carter on the floor at all times. But the problem, like you said, the other big options right now, like Billings as a power forward, you know, makes her living by shooting 40% from two, which is just not very good for, yeah, for, uh, from someone from your power forward spot. Kalani Brown is obviously like a a straight center. So you're not really going to want to pair either those two players, Williams or Parker with Kalani Brown. So, and like you said, like your other high profile wing options are not amazing off the ball either. <laughs> like there's, there's just no one really to kind of provide gravity off the, I mean, the, I guess the one thing you could say, like at least Tiffany Hayes can really attack the basket. So you don't want to give her too much space. Mm-hmm. Uh, Courtney Williams can, can a 16 footer as well as anybody. So I really like Cheyenne Parker. Like she's a really good player. It's good to have good players on your team. And I, I think there are avenues for this to work out pretty well, or at least fine. But I think there are avenues where you're just, you're, you brought in another good player and you're still like last off season, not really making your team any better. Yeah. You know, they, they brought in Courtney Williams and Shakina Strickland and we're still, you know, not really a competitive team and Benajelani who was way better than, than we all would have thought, but you know, it, it just, the, the pieces aren't really congruous to each other. So it, it didn't really result in any wins. It's yeah. You, you said it very, very well there. It's like you, you signed a player, but what, how, how does this, how does this piece fit into the puzzle? Like, like what is the puzzle? It's, 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 it's strange. It's strange. Um, I, I think there has to be another move coming. Like maybe you play a little bit of Strickland at the four. I, I don't know. I, I think this does mean that Glory Johnson is, is gone. Um, which is, I mean, okay. <laughs> it's like, whatever, but yeah, looking at these this these perimeter players plus the front court, it's it's like two it's it's like two magnets that like are are pushing against each other. I I just don't see how they how it's gonna fit. So. I would love to see some of those lineups with Strickland at the floor at the four. Excuse me, like I, I don't think they they wouldn't stop anyone for sure. I don't think they oh, no. would necessarily win any games that way. But at least you're kind of doing the right developmental things to make sure that you know, Kennedy Carter is going on the right path and, and Parker has the space to operate and stuff like that. So, yeah, and plus like we, we talk about floor spacing very often. One thing that you always say is that in order to space the floor, people need to respect you from the three point line. I think teams like Shine Barker making threes is awesome, but I think teams are just going to give her that shot. Cause they're going to say, they're going to say, okay, you know, that, that's fine. We're just going to sit on everyone else and, and, and keep them from attacking the rim. Go ahead. Shoot 45% from three Prove Prove us wrong. 
Yeah, at least for another season, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's not like her sample size was enormous last year. And and it's, yeah. So Atlanta, very interesting situation there. I I don't think they're done. Do you have any preferred, I mean, are are you in favor of Elizabeth Williams' trade? Like, do you think another move entirely should come? Like, what what do you kind of see in terms of next steps for that team? Well, uh, you proposed an interesting one on Twitter, I think, uh, Elizabeth Williams to Indiana. I mean, right now, Indiana's losing everybody, so they need something. Yeah, I thought that would be a nice um, just kind of defensive culture piece for Indiana. You know, it's not signing someone to this huge deal. Williams only has like one year left on her deal. Uh, so you're you're not kind of committing years to someone that's not really lined up with the rest of your team's timeline. They need at least one person who can guard someone. I, I think it would make sense for both sides. But, you know, you got to kind of figure out the rest of it. Like, Atlanta's not going to give Williams away for free, obviously. Yeah, so what do you give up? Maybe maybe their first round – for what is – I'm sorry, what does Indiana give up? Like, maybe their first round pick? Maybe Vivian's, but, I mean, she hasn't been healthy in forever. So, we'll see. You want to move on to the Sparks now? Sure. So, um, they obviously, as we mentioned, they have lost Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray in free agency. They've – Resigned a couple of their own players, uh, Brittany Sykes and Neko Gumake, to what has been reported as multi-year deals. And it was reported today, Saturday, as we're recording this, that they have signed Erica Wheeler. So I guess any immediate thoughts before we kind of get into what, what it all means for LA? Um, well, first of all, uh, thank you, Rachel Galligan, for breaking that news on Erica Wheeler, because I think both Stephen and I said, hey, maybe the Sparks should call up Erica Wheeler. And then, uh, so thanks for stealing our content, Rachel. But um, anyway, I, I think the Sparks maybe are in kind of desperation mode right now. I'm not going to pretend that I, that I know what's going on behind closed doors with Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray. Um, now that we see this, now that the dust has somewhat settled here, Coring Neko Gumake seems like it had to happen because neither of the aforementioned Parker or Gray were coming back. And then Sykes, like, like again, I don't ever want to say a team needed to sign a player Maybe I did on Twitter, but you can just ignore that because like signing players because just because you have cap space, I think that's, that's kind of a bad idea um, because you don't want to end up with Albatross contracts. Right. But on the other hand, you know, Wheeler, I think they had to do it because I mean, if they wanted to remain competitive, at least. And, and yeah, maybe, if you, you, exactly. Maybe, exactly. maybe because right now they're on the is, fence. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. They're, they're kind of on the fence right now because they are bringing Chrissy Tolliver back, presumably. Um, and they are committing long-term to Neka Ogumake, both amazing players. I'm, I'm both, I'm a fan of both. They're also both on the wrong side of 30 right now, I think. So I don't know, like, and what's, here's, here's the bottom line is the Sparks lost their two best playmakers by far in Chelsea Gray and Candace Parker. That is so difficult to overcome. Like you're going to have to completely revamp your offense. Derek Fisher is actually going to have to call plays now. It's tough, but that's what coaches do now. Um, like the team defense, like it might not be great anymore, but we'll see. And I don't know, like who's making plays? Who's making plays for others now? Yeah, so a, a little bit more, I guess, overall context for the Sparks. I think with Parker leaving and, and Neca staying, I think it makes uh, makes it a little bit more likely that Shania Gumake will continue her WNBA career. You know, yeah. now that it seemed very obvious that she wanted to go to LA. Uh, and LA should have the room to to properly compensate her for what she's worth, which maybe they wouldn't have if if they kind of brought everyone back from last year. So that gives you a roster of roughly Wheeler, Tolliver, and Sykes probably as your starting perimeter players. You also have Sydney Weiss and Taya Cooper. TRP is still on the roster. 
and then some combination of Cheney and Neca as front court players. Hopefully, we'll we'll get a full season out of Maria Vadiva. You know, Christina Nigue seems like she she's likely to fill that fourth big role. You know, they still have Marie Gulich, so that's that's nine players right there, and uh, maybe maybe ten with Gulich. Uh, I wasn't counting, but and then you're looking at maybe bringing back Raquana Williams. So, what you're saying, like. If this team wanted to stay competitive, I, I do think they needed what Erica Wheeler brings as just like a, a point guard, you know, as someone who can pass the ball. Like we both love Tolliver and, and Neka, but, you know, Neka Gumake is a really elite play finisher. You know what I mean? She's not diming up people. And in terms of, you know, what Wheeler brings, like I'm, I'm not really, I think you're a little bit higher on Wheeler than I am. I'm not really the, the biggest fan of her game and, her efficiency in her own offense, like really kind of waxes and wanes as, as her jump shot waxes and wanes. And, you know, some seasons she's, she's really hot from, from the jumper, like we saw in 2019. And, you know, for most of the rest of her career, she's been pretty cold from there, but, you know, she can do something as a, as a pick and roll creator. She, LA definitely needs her passing after losing Gray and Parker. And, you know, there aren't really a ton of other options out there. And, you know, she's also just one more player that can just kind of get her shot, like when when she needs it against a pretty right. good defender, which I think is is going to be kind of important for this team to just kind of stay, I guess, be be something on offense. Um, and LA does have a pretty good amount of of like perimeter defense, so when you're playing Wheeler and Tolliver together, things might get a little bit dicey. But with with Sykes and and Cooper, um, and even Weiss to a lesser extent, I guess, like depending on the lineup, you could have a pretty nice balance of of shooting and, and wings who can attack a closeout. So yeah, I guess like the, the big question was like, should you have wanted to remain competitive after losing those two players? Would it have been better maybe to just see what, like blow it up, see what you could get for Neko Gumake and Christy Tolliver or, you know, should, you know, was this the right choice of, okay, let's, let's bring these players back. Let's sign Erica Wheeler uh, and, and just, you know, fight for what do you like the fifth or sixth seed maybe I don't, I don't even think it'd be that high maybe like the sixth or seventh seed yeah you know and that's well that was that was kind of my point i mean next if i'm trying to win a game in 2021 i'd rather have erica wheeler than taya cooper starting a point guard but as i was saying earlier you don't want to be handing out big contracts and the thing is we don't actually know like what any of these contracts are so like we, we just say like oh so-and-so is signed here or is committed to sign here but like i said when we open the show, um, teams can't sign sign until February 1st. So we don't know what the terms of the contract are. Maybe it's a one-year deal, like fine. But you don't want to be handing out big contracts just because you lost your franchise player and now you're desperate and you want to stay competitive for a sixth seed. That's, that's going to get you in trouble in the long term. What I'd like to point out is that the Minnesota Lynx did not do this last offseason. I think it was pretty obvious what the Lynx were doing last season. They were just holding the line. They were, they were just saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hang around. We're going to be as competitive as we can, but we're going to keep our cap space open for the next off season. And we're going to talk about what they, what they're doing so far, which has been pretty impressive. So that worked out for them. I'm not sure if the Sparks would be able to pull that off, but I don't know, man. Like you, you bring up a great point. I, I don't think the Sparks have a championship window anymore. And next year's draft is going to be a really good draft. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a, a probably a good place to, um, I guess, end part one of this this two parter here. We'll we'll be back uh, with a second episode to talk about what Minnesota did in free agency. To talk about um, some of the other names: Laney heading to New York, Alicia Clark uh, leaving Seattle. 
um, as well as uh, a couple big players re-signing. Um, it's kind of weird to have uh, a sign-off. You know, usually we, we won't talk again for another week, but um, Eric, could you maybe plug some of your pieces that you had recently? I know you had a, a few of them. Yeah. Um, well, as, as always, I've, I've been over at Swoosh Appeal kind of uh, taking a look at some of the upcoming draft prospects. Again, I'm not really high, as high on this class as I am on the class of 2021, but I think there's some stuff there. In particular, one, one, one thing I kind of wanted to make clear about LA is now I think the draft is extremely important for them. That number 10 overall pick, like they need to hit on that pick. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing weekly draft profiles at Swoosh Appeal. Like I said, I've been blogging my personal thoughts over at ericblogswbb.substack.com. So uh, if you want, if you want me to spam your inbox, you can sign up for uh, like alerts. Like it'll send out email alerts whenever I post as a Substack blog. Totally understand if you don't want to do that because <laughs> I, I send out tweets anyway. But yeah, that's that's what I'm doing right now. Like Stephen said, we will not be seeing you next week. I mean, you could listen to, to part two of this episode, you know, in a week. But we're gonna be back at it, recording again tomorrow with more free agency news. We'll see if anything else breaks before then. But it's been a really exciting period so far, Stephen, because guess what? This isn't something that used to happen. You know, it, it used to be you heard about the moves when they happened, not you heard about the moves before they could actually be signed. So it's been fun. Yeah, and just from a CBA perspective, like there was just so much less kind of free agents, like pure free agency movement uh, with, um, you know, kind of yeah. your, your top seven players all kind of making the same amount and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it opens up a lot of flexibility um, for the players in particular. I mean, I, I think one of the, uh, one of the talking points, which I totally agree with is that players are much more free to kind of choose their own, choose your own adventure, if you will, uh, with all these capsules. Like you see so many of these big names just moving around before free agency even opens really. And the, the context of player empowerment is really, is really shining through in this free agency period so far. So um, we love to see it. We love to see player empowerment. But yeah, signing off, kind of. Uh, if you want to hear more, uh, we are on Google Play. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts at Double Down WNBA on Twitter or our personal accounts at Nemchak E or at Trinkwald. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next time, which is tomorrow. So peace out.